I tend, for the most part, to gravitate towards what I am comfortable with and what pleases me as opposed to what, what, what horrifies me and I disagree with. And if you can have conversations with people, if I can have conversations with people who, are, who, who believe differently about what's right and what's good and what's true, it's probably healthy. I don't know if I do it enough. Hello and welcome to A Pixie from Kilmarnock, a program about the people, places, and the history of the Northern Neck of Virginia. I'm your host, Pixie E. Curry. This is the second part of my interview with Dee Callanan my former English teacher at Northumberland Senior High School, who is also my lifelong friend. It is gratifying to know that the qualities that you witness in a person you admired as a young person, that those same qualities still exist so many decades later, and that they only deepen with the passing years. What do you think about the critical race theory? And if you were still teaching, no, would you make it part of your... Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad that, because, and really, I loathe Trump. I loathe him to the depth of my being. He is an aberration as a human being. But because of all that work with the psychiatrist, I have a, a friend I particularly admire who's a, he's going to be 80. He's been a psychiatrist for decades and decades. And the thing about Trump is he is a classic narcissist. And as a narcissist, it's impossible. Something happened to him probably between the time he was two and five, whatever it was, he can only think about himself. Nothing matters but himself. And it is one of the few disorders, mental disorders, that is incurable. You, you, can't, you cannot change a narcissist. A narcissist will never, you can, when, if somebody's afraid of fire or, you know, is a pedophile, there are all sorts of treatments, including from medicine to therapy, for almost every kind of disorder except for narcissism. The only good thing that I can think of that came out of that horrific individual nearly ruining this country is it started, at least in some areas, better and deeper conversation about bigotry and other kinds and other kinds of racism. I mean, there are so many more books now and, and I, I group in groups who are who are addressing it, although I, I think it's the tip of the iceberg. And I don't even know where it came from. That's the other thing. See, a part of it is the way you're raised, and part of it may be your mindset. But never in my life did my parents say, no, you can't do that. You're a girl. Nor did they ever say, no, you can't go play with that person. He's from Asia. 
I mean, really, it was just not in my background. I never heard any disparaging remark from my parents about what race, religion, monetary status, how smart they were. It just didn't, wasn't, I didn't grow up with it. And I, I'm lucky. I'm just lucky. I think that being unaware must have given you the armor that you needed because not only you know being unaware but also never being a teacher before you sort of assessed your environment and what you thought would work because because of you I was in your class I wasn't in Mr. Scrittany's class mm-hmm. but what I remember about you was you taught us how to be freer about who we were. The poetry that you taught, that you used, Bob Dylan, Stevie Wonder, William Smokey Robinson as poetry. We didn't think of it as poetry. We didn't think of music as being poetry. We thought of it, or at least I did, as entertainment. But all of a sudden, the words became, they were different. And not only that you were using those particular artists, but I think that for the white students, it was the first time that they were actually exposed and expected to listen and learn about someone other than white people, that they were learning about our culture, the black culture. And finding out that there was actually a lot of common ground. For me, our class, the 1973 graduating class of Northumberland High School, for that year, and I think you only taught for a year, correct? I did. For that year. Because then we went to England. You did. <laughs> and we thought that you all were fired. We did. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, God. Uh, many of us. Many of us thought you were being fired because you were teaching differently from what we had been exposed to, which was we, the black kids, shouldn't have the benefit of of learning something different and new. And I guess the same thing for the white students. So for that one year, we were like a really close-knit class. You started that. You started that. You made us feel like you cared about us. And not saying that you know, other teachers never made us feel like that, but you really made us feel like we were important, that we were going to go far, that we were going to make a difference, that our opinions matter. If you were to ask the class, the consensus probably would be that you were one of our favorite teachers. I know that the majority of us think that you you both were beautiful first of all you gave us something to aspire beautiful lady handsome man you were just engulfing us in love that's what i felt i couldn't wait to get to your class I couldn't wait for to see what we was going to be reading i remember one time charlie rice and I discovered that we had read the same book during the summer. And I remember both of us turn around looking at each other and say, yeah, I read that. And we started talking about the book right then and there. 
you know, and I was just amazed. And I think he was too, that I'm a black, black girl. He's a, a white boy. And that we like the same thing in literature. I mean, it's not that we liked a, a crab cake, but we like, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Do you remember what the book was, Pixie? Um, the Harlem Summer. I oh, still remember Harlem that book. Summer. A Harlem Summer. Oh. And it was about a, a band. It was a band. And they were trying to make a record. And I don't know whether or not the, the band was integrated or what. They were struggling to make a success of them being a band. And for some reason, they were in Harlem. I'm going to see if oh. I can find that book. But, uh, Lottie, I, I just wrote it down myself. A lot of good music came out of Harlem and yeah, still does. Yes. But, uh, but, sure. but, this, but this particular book, I think it was more of a contemporary story. So it wouldn't have mm-hmm. been, you know, like the 20s or the 30s. It may have been the 60s or the right. 70s or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can remember Charlie and I looking at each other. And I think from that mm-hmm. moment, you know, I felt closer to him. And I think mm-hmm. after that, he started talking to me more and i think he was a sensitive sweet person i thought bobby sensitive bobby seville and charlie rice they were the 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 funny guys yeah they were best friends charlie yeah charlie he would those that reddish hair and the freckles Mm -hmm. you know if he got it all embarrassed he would turn scarlet just i remember (laughs) that just as red as a beat yeah red as a beat he would turn red as a beat (laughs) <laughs> but uh, okay. I, I, I just I just think, you know, you know, your inexperience and your uh, underexposure was probably the best thing that ever happened to us. And maybe to me. <laughs> I mean, it was. Yeah. Well, I loved the year and I loved you guys. We loved you, too. We love mm. we loved you. What do you think about the technology that is used in the classroom. Do you think the interaction between uh, teachers and students, have it changed for the better, for the worse? It depends on how it's used. And I retired from high school teaching. I can't remember how long ago, but of course we were using computers in writing classes, but it, it didn't probably have the impact on me that it has now. I mean, now they, the, the kindergartners are using computers and everybody's on their cell phones doing God knows what all the time. You know, I didn't have to deal. I didn't deal with any of that because I stopped it. I'm not the right person to answer that question because there wasn't in general. I think that it's both a help and perhaps it can be overused. I don't know. I think it's wonderful that people can find out things. They have access to so much that they would not have access to if they weren't in downtown Boston or if you, even if you didn't have, like if you're in, let's take Missouri, if you're in the country, in the countryside and don't have a university near you or a good library, the world is at your fingertips because all you do is go up to that little Google thing and you can find out whatever you want about Nepal or raindrops or cancer. Phenomenal. But the idea that people, it depends on the person. See, I am not a person who spends much time on the computer or on, except for this experience right now, on the phone. I'm not a person immersed in it just because I'd rather talk one-on-one with somebody. And But if I need it to look up, like I made a plane reservation to go to Florida, I mean, of course I use a computer to do that. But 
there are people who are, I think, glued to their their screens for hours every day. And I don't know what what a lot of people who study human behavior think of all that. It's it's both a gift and a, and a potential danger. I guess I, I, that's all I could say. Because I I don't know I I think it's much better to go out into the marsh and look at the birds than to look at the birds on a screen. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. The other part, Good. when we were talking, well, or when I was asking you about the CRT, is how certain aspects of history is distorted or whitewashed mm-hmm. or totally eliminated, not available if you are not able to get it orally from someone mm-hmm. that was there or experience mm-hmm. it or know of it, or you have the the fortune to uh, have access to that type of information, that mm-hmm. that there is a lie perpetrated. And it seems like if it's, if it's on the Internet, then it must be true. Right. Or if it's printed in a book, then it must be right versus, mm-hmm. you know, the, the actual true story. Yes, and that that's a big deal because it depend I mean it really just because it's said or printed or televised or radio on on the, it, it, I mean, that's the whole thing of this business the, the phrase fake news and it's it's a real concern. It's a huge concern and people I think we well we do this maybe everyone does it it, it what you choose you are what you eat in other words what you choose to be drawn to can be dangerous and limiting if you're only looking at one side of things. I mean, my I had, when I was in journalism school, I was doing some research, going to these periodicals in the basement of the library, and I was working on some paper, uh, something about the city of Milwaukee, actually, from one of my professors. And he said, you know, what you what you've done here. He said, you need to be, you need to always read more than the side that appeals to you. He said, because you run the risk of not learning about other viewpoints. And so people who just listen to NPR or just listen to Fox News, I think are maybe doing themselves a disservice. I think they should be looking. I don't do it enough, but I should be looking not at just the things that, that make me feel, yes, bring it on, but also, oh, I don't like that, but why, did, why are they thinking that way? I think I need to pay attention also to what other people are, are believing, even if I don't believe the way they believe. There's, there needs to be more dialogue. And it, 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 I don't know if it really, maybe we tend, I think we, I tend for the most part to gravitate towards what I am comfortable with and what pleases me as opposed to what, what, what horrifies me and I disagree with. And if you can have conversations with people if I can have conversations with people who are who who believe differently about what's right and what's good and what's true, it's probably healthy. I don't know if I do it enough. I was thinking also when you were talking about Jane. There's other quote unquote prominent families, white families, and the white privilege that came with that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that some of the kids gave it a second thought because that's just the way that they live versus, mm-hmm. you know, there were some black kids who families could 
be described as having privilege, but not in the same vein. That is a phenomenon that is still kind of still lurking in our society where there are people who don't think that their behavior of where their the narcissism is a problem that maybe it's not an I, 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 but, you know, this is what I am accustomed to. And Mm -hmm. for you to even think that, you know, you should have the same privileges. I don't know if you knew, but the black kids uh, used to be divided into whether or not you were going to go to college, if you were going to go to trade school, or if Mm -hmm. you were going to work at the Ties Inn or in the Fish House or the Crab Mm -hmm. House. And I, I would like to say that that's also true of the white kids, isn't it? I don't know. I think so. Thinking of the kids, let's say I went to high school with, uh, let's take some white kids. I mean, some of them were going, of course, on to college and anticipating grad school. Others were going straight to work. Bobby Hauer, I love him. Bobby Hauer is a now a white adult, and he was not a good student, but very funny. And he just knew he just wanted to get out of school as fast as he could. So his father has a septic pumping system. He pumps septic tanks for a living. It's the Bobby, it's the hour, Robert Robert B. hour. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to go work with his dad. And in the same class with him was Matthias Bossi, an extremely gifted musical mu- musician who knew he was going to go straight to either the New England Conservatory of Music or the Berklee School of Music in Boston. And then he was going to wind up making his living with music, which is what he does. So, I don't know. I, 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 it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful when a kid can decide and be happy with it, whatever it is. I mean, Bobby Harris is perfectly happy with his life. A couple of times recently it's come up that many people, most people maybe, wind up doing something for a living that isn't at their heart's core their dream, but it pays the bills or else it doesn't, you know. I want to know what advice will you tell young people, particularly since you have taught in the rural community? Focus on what you would tell young people and then trying to find it to kids that are from small towns. What would you what advice would you give? Keep an open mind and heart and Read and learn as much as you possibly can, particularly about things which interest you, but even maybe if it doesn't interest you, and I mean, who knows what you might wind up finding out about that interest that you that would find useful, and just try not to fit yourself in a slot that leads you on a specific path with a specific type of person and future too quickly, because the world is... Wild and wonderful. I've got a friend right now who's in Egypt for the first time. Well, she loves to travel, and she works, and then she saves her money, and then she takes a break from work and goes on a big trip. And she's been all over the world, and she's one of the most unduck and un. She she she's she's not going to say no. This is the way it has to be, and this is the way one should be because she's just ex- had the chance to experience, but then she also had the nature, the curiosity to experience so many different cultures and places. And sometimes people are in a situation where it's all they can do to keep their head above water. I should volunteer more. That's one thing I was saying to somebody the other day. 
it's a it's a flaw. I know I have good points, but I'm not a person who volunteers. Even if I mean, even if I volunteered at the food pantry, or I don't have to volunteer at like for a politician. I believe and it doesn't matter really. Just to get out and get out of my own way and out of my own head and my own life and spend some time, maybe even a couple of days a week for a couple of hours, completely out of my element in a sense. This has been for all of us a difficult couple of years. I mean, this is, it's a little bit surreal. I find the world surreal, but that's, that doesn't, it shouldn't be an excuse. So there. You know, I love you. So what you did, really, you, you mean what you're doing is remarkable and ingenious and, and I think probably life-changing for you. It is. It and is. that is, I mean, how many people can say that? <laughs> I mean, that's fantastic. How are you? I'm talking to a student I had my first year I ever taught. She's interviewing me. Yes, her name is Pixie Curry. Pixie. It's her real name. Is your, your real name, Pixie? <laughs> I am known as Pixie E. Curry, so you don't never have to worry. Oh, about Pixie E. Curry. See you later. <laughs> All right, Betty and Nancy. Here I am. I'm freezing. Pixie E. Curry. They said to tell you hello. Hello. <laughs> Funny. They're all wrapped up in their winter woolies because it is so cold. Oh. All right, dear. All right. I want to say I love so you. Let's see each other this year. I, I love I'm you. A, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. Let's see uh, each other. Yeah. We. I. I'm. I'm. Uh. Still a mask. Wearing a mask everywhere I go. Oh sure, absolutely. But uh, I do. They I'm, didn't have one on out there, but nobody was out there with them. Yeah. There you go. And they were outside. And I, you're, you're, um, I'm going to close by saying this. I am so, so happy that you happened into my life. You are a person, one of the people who I cherish. You recognize something in me. I can remember you, you know, being funny with me. And I can remember, you know, you complimenting me on the things that I that I loved to read back then and, and my writing assignments. And I can remember so many ways that you made me feel special. And it was a difficult time, I think probably for everybody because we were young and we were growing up and the world was starting to change. And we was we were part of that change for better or for, for worse. But uh, mm-hmm. the 1973 class we achieved, and I think it's because of the teachers, our parents, but there were special people, and you were one of those special people in our lives. I'm very grateful for you. And I, um, I'm very, very, I mean, some classes are special. It's sometimes, it's just interesting, because in having spent so many years in class, there comes along a group that somehow, it's just, there's an inner glow to the group that marks them as just different than the the grades right be- below and after them, just sometimes happens. But and I remember you were so ebullient. You know, you were always so passionate and fiery and funny and honest. To a fault. You, you you were not you were not a shrinking violet. No, still not. <laughs> I wish I could shrink That's a little good. bit. <laughs> 
she was not a shrinking violet. She was a she was a sunflower, something big and gorgeous. Thank you. All right, honey. Keep in touch. I shall. All right. Love and kisses. Love and kisses to you, too. Okay. Bye, sweetie. Bye. Bye. My hope is that all my teachers, whether I sit in their classrooms or knew in passing, that I did not disappoint them. I think I will be a student for life and will seek out teachers forever and a day. The Music by Robert A. Hall This interview is dedicated to teachers who teach other teachers. Thank you for listening.